Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. I'm Ryan Honeyman, a partner at Lyft Economy. My guest today is George Gale. George is a community organizer, activist, and the outgoing executive director of People's Action, a national network of state and local grassroots power-building organizations united in fighting for justice. George, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. George, for folks who don't know, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you first got interested in the work you're doing today? Mm, Yeah. Let's see. So... I grew up in southern Indiana, and for folks that don't know, the kind of southern half of the state is probably maybe more Kentucky than kind of rolling flatlands. And at a certain point, you know, kind of later in life was uh, eating at a soup kitchen. I'd kind of come on hard times and was struggling with a number of things and was eating at a soup kitchen in in southern Indiana. And it's a long story, but it got asked to wash dishes one day and volunteered and over time became a got a paying job washing dishes at the soup kitchen. And it was really at the soup kitchen where I really got my life together and got on a clear path forward. And then eventually got a you know full-time paying job at this soup kitchen, the community kitchen of Monroe County. And three years later, I woke up and the same folks were eating in the kitchen as when I'd come in on my first day. And it really kind of washed over me like a ton of bricks. And Around the same time, I found a book about community organizing and realized there was something other than service. And I still think social service and that kind of charitable showing up for people is really important. And I wanted to get to the root of why people were poor in the first place. And so became a community organizer, learned to organize in Southern Indiana, and then went to St. Louis and then went to Chicago, which is where I really got trained to be an organizer and got really got introduced to the People's Action family, which is where I work now. Wow. And of all the sort of issues that you're working on organizing around, what are you most excited about right now? I'm not necessarily excited about any quote unquote issue as we might think of it in terms of policy as much as like, what does it take to build a big enough we to make any of the things that low income and working class people need to have better lives? And I think at the end of the day, you know, the primary challenge is that both low income and working class people don't have the power they need to move the ideas that they have about what would make their lives better into reality. And that too many low income and working class people are actually divided right now politically to build a big enough majority to make any of those big ideas possible. So solving for that problem is the thing that I wake up thinking about every day. And what are some of the strategies that you've adopted or sort of look at to sort of help that move that forward? Yeah. I think the first is really going back to what we already know, which is a set of like basic fundamentals of the craft of community organizing. And to me, organizing is the craft of getting people to come together to build power where it does not yet exist. And then to wield that power to win the change that people need and build more power along the way to win more things down the road. Like that's what we do in organizing. But there are a set of fundamentals that 
date back to well before organizing became a profession. It was just what people did to survive. And those fundamentals, I think, in many ways provide the foundation for what we got to do to build a big enough we to realize a bunch of big ideas to make people's lives better. And, you know, some of those are things like starting where people are at. And to me, this is the first and most important organizer's superpower, which is, and it's kind of a big deal, the notion of starting where people are at, because we as humans tend to start where we are at and with what we need. And so to really start where the other person is at and try to understand what they're up against, how they came to see the world the way they do, what their hopes or dreams are for their family or for their community, and really understand that other person and not needing that other person to be exactly where we're at and to see the world exactly like we do. So this is like, I would say the, the first and most foundational fundamental of organizing. So there are 10 of those that we need to get back to that I think could help us build a big enough we to realize some big ideas. And I think that the reason it's still the fundamental number one is because it's maybe the hardest one, right? Of like <laughs> it's the hardest one and it's probably harder right now, right? There's not a lot about our culture that kind of rewards or inspires people to start where the other person is at. And I mean, our culture today, but it's very possible. I and mean, what's so great about the notion of starting where people are at and, and the notion of suspending judgment, which I'd love to come back to is like, there is like, this is a place where you can have like incredible personal growth as an individual and learning to start where the other person is at to understand the human needs under, behind whatever the other person is experiencing or feeling can really transform all the relationships in your life. It just happens to be really powerful for organizing. And so if we're able to go into a conversation with somebody who maybe agrees with us on two or three things, but not on a couple of other things, and suspend judgment and really be curious, like, how did this person come to see the world the way they do? Like, what experiences did they have growing up? Who taught them things? What culture did they, you know, become an adult in? And then what chemistry even do they have? Like, and really kind of just suspend judgment and be curious about the other person, like opens up a whole different space where we can start to have conversations around things we don't see eye to eye on and move towards building a bigger we. You know, it's interesting because from my own personal experience over the last few years, it gives me a serotonin boost to say, those people just don't get it. Mm. I'm in the right. You know, like there's a very short term satisfaction in not doing that work of sort of just mm -hmm. blaming and judging. And so I'm wondering, yeah, it's like almost like working against human psychology and, <laughs> or I don't know, maybe it's not. Maybe the, yeah. the true psychology is actually coming together and we've just learned this different psychology. Yeah. I think that, I mean, one, I would say if you want to see kind of transformative ideas you know, that are on the table right now. One of the most amazing things about this moment to me is like we have the opportunity and we do it all the time right now to move really big transformative ideas around the economy, around the energy sector, around how we relate to each other, certainly around race and gender, from really the margins to a mainstream conversation pretty quickly. And certainly unlike anything in my lifetime, preoccupy. And so that is like a kind of superpower that I think kind of progressive justice oriented folks have right now. But to move those ideas from a mainstream conversation to actually reality requires engaging a lot more people 
than most of us currently do. And I think requires most of us getting outside of our bubble. And then we really got to figure out like, what does it look like to get one or two rings outside of our comfort zone and be in conversation with people that don't agree with us on everything. So I feel like that's critical. And if any of us really want truly, not rhetorically, truly want these big ideas to happen, we got to decide we're willing to do that. I don't think there's any path towards making these big ideas possible by staying in our bubble and only talking to people that we agree with. And then I think like, you know, I think you're right. I think culturally right now that everything is kind of pushing against that, though I do believe we're having a there's separately a moment where more people are going like, I actually don't love this way of relating to other people. And I don't see this as a path to getting to a more just future. But back to kind of your main point, I think like something profound can happen for the individual that decides I'm going to do the work on myself to figure out how to like really try to understand other people. And also like, just think about like, what makes me think if I grew up, I'm sitting across from a person that disagrees with me on a handful of things. What makes me think if I didn't have the exact life experiences that they had, that I would be any different? What makes me think I am so special that if I grew up in, you know, a rural community or a conservative family or anything else that I would be any different? Like we are all a product of the conditions that we experienced. And so like, I want to understand those and help people get there. And what I found is when we're willing to suspend judgment and not kind of start to debate the other person and jump down their throat, folks are willing to meet us there. And they're almost shocked by the, they're like, wow, you haven't tried to debate me or tell me I'm wrong. You're actually listening to me. Something really profound opens up. And I think like maybe not a short-term serotonin burst, but I think the long-term it can change your life. Yeah. And I, I think this idea of, you know, how far apart are we really right now versus how far apart does it seem we are? Because I feel like since you do organizing, you actually have a better sense of where people are versus what the like the narrative is. Can you speak at all to like, are we quote unquote more divided than we've ever been? Or is it just that's more of a narrative? And if you talk to folks on the ground, it's not, there's actually a lot of things we share. I guess I'm kind of looking for your thoughts on. Yeah. I mean, I think we are very divided and I think we're obviously in a hyper polarized moment and probably era. And I think assuming there are two sides um, and there's certainly two sides of a very kind of progressive left side and a very, you know, conservative white nationalist side, like that is a fact, like that is a thing that exists. But I do think there's a little bit of stereotyping of each side and a lot of stereotyping of each side that actually doesn't help us get to the other side. So it's like, I don't think every Trump voter is sitting around thinking the things that progressive minded people think they're thinking. And I don't think they're motivated by all the things that I think like progressive minded people think they're thinking, just like I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, hyper conservative folks think about progressive minded people doesn't line up with reality. So I think like there's huge opportunity to like do bridging and social cohesion. And I want to do that bridging and social cohesion with an intention of helping people wake around things that maybe they wouldn't have the tools to otherwise because of, you know, the conditions that they're in. I had another guest on the show, Chris Crass. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a white anti-racist organizer. And he was talking about something that really stuck for me that I think what you've been pointing to many community organizers have pointed to for a long time, which is 
you might have someone where you you clearly see five things you you disagree with them immediately it's like i don't agree with this you know they have, might have the wrong bumper sticker but like what's the one thing you can build on together mm-hmm. that can lead to change and i think it's so much easier to just be like nope i'm going to throw them away because those five things that we disagree on rather than doing the work of finding that one thing and building on that and i'm curious your take on if that's part of the problem we're seeing is like Oh, less of a willingness to find those things that we share and build on them. I think it's a there's a solution in there, which is figuring out what does it look like. I think in many ways we need to build a new field of work that's designed to reach beyond the choir to be in relationship with people that you know. Again, I think more likely probably people that agree with us on some things, but not on other things, and try to be in conversation that every time we decide we're not going to be in relationship with somebody because they don't see the world the way we do. We basically forfeit them to some pretty hateful forces to do meaning making with. And so it's like every time I experience somebody and the opportunity to be in relationship with somebody that doesn't see the world the way I do on all things, I feel like saying, hallelujah, this is a huge blessing that they've decided to be in conversation with me or one of our organizers around how they see the world like that is what we need and then we have to be able to suspend judgment and not toss them out because they don't see the world the way we do so i think there's a huge opportunity there and i think we're going to see a movement of people saying like this hyperpolarization not being in relationship with anybody we don't know further bubbling than we've even done before. Like I think you'll see a movement of people, including a lot of young people who are going to say like, this is not the way this will not get us where we need to get. It will certainly not solve the problems that I need us to solve. And I'm already experiencing that right now with the number of people that sign up to do rural organizing, that sign up to be deep canvassers. In many cases, I think a lot of younger people didn't even really know that kind of organizing was a thing until recently. One of the first times I heard you was on the Chris Hayes podcast you did. Mm-hmm. And you did say something that really stood out, I think, to me and probably many folks was there was, a, I think you're telling a story about, you know, if we're not organizing these sort of white rural communities, then, you know, they might be reading leaflets from the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, like in mm-hmm. white supremacist organizations, they're getting organized by someone. It's just not us. And so, can you speak at all to, yeah, like that idea of by not choosing to organize, we're allowing them to go to that sort of dark side, the dark forces. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've learned the hard way that if we are not present with people to help people make meaning of the changing conditions, like in America and across the world, like every time we're not present to help make that meaning, somebody else is. And we've already retreated from so many parts of the country and have basically forfeit hearts and minds to some very, very hateful forces. And what we found, and so in 2017, People's Action launched what became the biggest progressive rural organizing program in the country, that if we start where people are at, we listen first. We don't sell. We listen first. We work on the issues that people identify, and we make progress on those issues. Those could be healthcare. It could be addiction. It could be factory farms coming into the community or whatever, then we're able to build the trust and the credibility to start to have tougher conversations around worldview and meaning making. And so we both, every time we forfeit a county or a 
or a state, like we pay for it and the big ideas that we care about become further out of reach. And we found every time we are present and build something and show up in that way, like beautiful things happen. And I would say in our rural organizing 2017 and 2018, many people, you know, moved into a kind of multiracial context around solving, you know, very clear problems at the local or state level and built trust one stuff, which is really important. We have to work on issues that are actually winnable in the near future to help kind of build credibility and organizing. And then had the foundation to start to have conversations around why we weren't in the room in the first place, what role race played in that, what other areas of division kept us from being together in the first place, but only after we built that foundation. And sometimes those conversations have not gone well. Sometimes they've blown up, but more often than not, they've been cathartic and led to like once in a lifetime shifts in how people see the world. So there's there's a lot of potential. We just got to decide we want to do it. Yeah. I remember one of your other projects was the To See Each Other podcast. Mm. And listening to that, what stood out to me was, you know, I think there was one episode and maybe conflating episodes, but one of the gentlemen from Iowa, I think, and it was like, let's just talk about clean water and factory farming and like build around getting clean water and everyone should have access to it. Let's not necessarily layer in a bunch of other issues that we're bringing like as the organizers or something and just sort of meet them where they're at and sort of build from there. Maybe you could actually update like what's what's the latest on some of those to see each other podcasts organizing. I think like one thing you said in there, and this is fairly insider baseball, but I want to say it is like, I think a question for a lot of people's organizations, organizations made up of, you know, everyday people through community organizing and other things like it. I think a key question right now is like, do these organizations exist for the members, the volunteers, the most impacted people, or do they exist for the staff? of those organizations. And I think for a long time, at least in community organizing, that wasn't super in question. I think it's a little more in question now. So it's like, are the volunteers and people in the community setting the agenda or not? I think that's a key thing. And I think, are we building member-driven organizations or are we building staff-driven organizations? Because that will say a lot about what the agenda is. And then just to go back to Iowa, like an amazing thing about the work in Iowa. So, you know, I was a you know, 90% white state obviously a, a big farming state, but Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, which is one of the best rural organizing groups, and they do great urban work too, but in the country, started organizing around factory farms and clean water issues a long time ago. And I would say I had a you know base that included, you know, that was, you know, bipartisan. They were not doing electoral work at the time and pulled people together, but built amazing credibility in communities throughout the state because they were willing to take on corporate agriculture when really, to be honest, like members of neither party were willing to do that in the state of Iowa. And then through that work started to engage in more Latinos in different rural areas, often, you know, who are in the meatpacking industry and decided that it was like, there were the board was like, we want to take on, you know, a more focused organizing of Latinos in the state and people who are really like facing really tough conditions in these meatpacking plants and knew that was probably a path towards immigration being an issue with the organization. I was kind of foreshadowing that as an issue. 
and were able to have a conversation with their very white, and I would say in many cases, you know, middle-aged rural membership about immigration as an issue, and were able to retain so many members through that, even though I'm not sure that all of the members, I'm, I'm certain all the members didn't have a progressive worldview on immigration, but they were able to engage in that conversation and bring a lot of people along that wouldn't have been there otherwise, if not for the trust they built on working on the clean water and factory farm issues. And so I think there's a lesson in there that's a, in many ways there's a rinse and repeat we need to do in terms of how Iowa CCI did the work because we definitely don't want to do kind of race blind organizing, which is, I think, one of, I would say, one of the weaknesses of community organizing in, you know, much of the 70s, 80s and 90s. Uh, we don't want to return to that, which was an organizing that in many ways is like, let's don't talk about race. Let's talk about the things that unite us. And that provided a vacuum for the opposition to like basically inform how people think about race. So we don't want to go back there, but there's stuff to learn from what Iowa CCI did. How does your work at all intersect with some of the, the personal journey I've been on is about reconnecting with ancestry and part of me that's beyond whiteness. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. does that play in at all? Like, do, do folks that you're working with, you know, like just to learn about how, you know, the places we came from were very traumatizing that we like brought to the US and sort of play out in our current context? Like, how does that sort of just like, yeah, identity for white folks beyond whiteness play into mm -hmm. any of your work. Yeah, I think that's really, really so important. Don't act like we've figured it out. Right. Um, white people, especially low-income, working-class people, I would say especially people in like declining parts of the country that, you know, have, you know, been kind of decimated by shifts in the economy, you know, places in the Midwest and the Southeast and others in many places, but those are some of the places where I work, need something to be proud of and need a healthy identity and something like that. Like, and one option is for that thing to be proud of is whiteness, which carries all kinds of, you know, challenges and baggage. So, but people do need to be able to figure out what to be proud of and whether that is ancestry or understanding their identity pre, you know, the construct of whiteness, or it could be other things about their community and their county and the history of, you know, cranking out textiles for the, you know, entire world or, you know, building cars or tires or whatever that is, but people need something to be proud of. But if the thing is whiteness, and I think that's what you know, the right and far right, which have kind of become the same thing, are definitely pushing right now. So I think I think it's really important. So it shows up in our work, but I don't want to act like we've we figured it out. In terms of some of the you know, speaking about this, let's build on the things that we share in common as opposed to, you know, point at all the things that we don't. One of my frustrations with say the Democratic Party and things like you know, passing something like Build Back Better or others has just been feeling like it gets so watered down that then it's like, what are we really passing? So there's like less excitement about it. But I guess I'm just, how do you see the, some of the legislation and like just the, the sort of drawn out process to get things passed? How do you see that with this idea of like the ideal of what we have as sort of progressive folks for like what would be great <laughs> and then what's like actually coming through the Senate or the House. How do you sort of reconcile those ideas and sort of 
get enough energy to say, work on something that's maybe 50% of what you hoped it would be and trying to get that passed. I guess sort yeah. of along a convoluted question, but no, it's just I understand what you're like, yeah. I mean, I think we got to get real and real quick. Like, I think most, you know, I don't know the exact listenership, but kind of most progressive minded people are very unclear on the country we live in and very unclear on the conditions that we're operating on. And in a weird way, the fact that like we're fortunate to be in the political situation we are and it sucks. And so I think you just, we have to be really sharp and be like, what is the best thing we can get right now? And we can sit around and beat our chest and say we want more and all that stuff. But it's like, I think we're not really clear on the politics in the country that we're operating in. I don't love that. I'm not happy about it, but I think it's kind of silly. So I think like a core concept moving forward is like face the brutal facts of the conditions that we're operating in so we can figure out how to overcome them. I'll say this. I don't see how we get to the other side. And make some of these really big ideas that w- where we felt like we were winning 100% versus cutting a deal and winning 50% become possible. If, if first we don't really understand the conditions that we're operating in, really understand America, and then figure out what shifts we have to make to be able to build a big enough sustainable majority to move both ideas into reality and then to protect them. Like that is the project in front of us. And the sooner we can get real with ourselves, the sooner we can be operating from really good strategy. There's also this idea of, you know, let's say we're getting redistricted and now we have more rural white folks that traditionally vote in a certain way in a district and we feel like we're going to lose those districts. I don't hear many folks saying, okay, now we're going to go organize in those communities and like, you know, bring the message of solidarity there's more like hand wringing and fretting about like we're getting redistricted out of our ability to to do anything as opposed to like okay let's go work in these communities like it's not like it's sort of that same thing you were talking about earlier it's just who are the people we're missing that we're Mm -hmm. um casting aside and i think some of that organizing leads to building the power still in the the movement building work that's right and i think it's important to think about like this topic can get like misunderstood to be like let's go get the rural white people and not to mean that that isn't you know i think we need to contest for hearts and minds both for political reasons but also for moral reasons way beyond what the progressive sector does right now but the left or progressive sector in america doesn't make sense to most people right now there might be some of our agenda that's very popular but i think we i would encourage like every listener to ask themselves like how am I going to get a little further outside of the bubble? And how can I really go understand the country I live in? Not the country I wish we lived in, not the neighborhood I live in, but really try to understand it and then develop strategy from there. And I don't say that to mean get to know our country better and then accept it and go like, well, I guess we just got to accept this, but like build strategy from like a clear understanding of what we're dealing with. That would be my, I'd like, I really think we all have to like, especially after COVID, get in our cars, hit the road, go talk to people who don't, we don't see eye to eye with and then see what kind of, what emerges from that. So at the top, we mentioned your outgoing mm-hmm. executive director. 
what's next? What are you thinking about? Are you going to just take a year to just <laughs> lay on the couch and chill out? Or are you be, watch, yeah, watch reruns? Reruns. <laughs> I'm going to do a couple things. One, I actually am planning my own beyond the bubble road trip where I'm, you know, going to hit different regions of the country with like kind of one criteria is to meet with people that aren't progressive. They could be liberal. They could be moderate. They could be conservative, but I'm going to hit different. I've already started with some trips to Indiana and to West Virginia and Kentucky. So then I'm just doing that for me. I feel like, especially after, you know, two years of the pandemic, do not feel in tune in the way that I want to. So that's going to happen, but that's just something I just need to do. And then I want to help people build and incubate a broad set of projects that reach a bigger we and move beyond the choir, start where people are at, but also move people along a waking process. I think like we are, some of what we talked about is negative today, but it's like on the profound and amazing side, like we are becoming an America that is more fully reckoned with the contradictions between our founding words and the stories we were told growing up and the actual truth in a way that is like unlike anything, certainly in my lifetime, it blows me away. And we should be celebrating the hell out of that. And of course, there's going to be a backlash. So I want to help. But I think to get to the other side of this becoming America phase that we're in, we've got to figure out how to build a whole new set of ways of engaging people that bring more people into that project. Because I think for us to become America, that's reckoned with our contradictions and repaired the harms we need majorities this can't be a project that only some of us are in we need majorities some people are going to come from along for the ride we know that but we got to bring more people along for the ride so i want to help incubate and launch a bunch of projects that would do that and one of the neat things and i think i made it mention this at the beginning i'm running into all kinds of younger people who are like, I want to do this work. Maybe they'll listen to, to see each other or have been part of different sessions. Like, I didn't know this work was a thing. I want to do this work. I want to move back home to the Rio Grande. I want to move back home to rural Wisconsin. I want to work and, you know, go back home to the Delta in the South and do this kind of work. So that's, we'll figure out the details, but that's something I want to do next. And um, what do you need right now? And, and how can people help you grow this? next economy or this next phase or however we want to call it. I hadn't thought about that. Like, I mean, I, you know, people that want to do this work, I, you know, and are like curious or like want to figure out like, actually, I want to do that. Or I, you know, or I want to figure out how to be in relationship with people beyond what I usually am. Like I want to be in, I want to be in conversation with those folks. I would say that's one of the main things, but uh, I would probably be a lot clearer after my road trip, but I'm, I'm sure I need way more than that, but that, you know, People to come along for the ride, I would say, is the most important thing. Yeah. Where can folks learn more about your work? Maybe People's Action oh, or any yeah. of your personal or other ways to... Well, people should check out peoplesaction.org is our website. And the work of you know reaching beyond the choir, the rural work, deep canvassing work is going to continue and grow at People's Action. It's going to be amazing. Our new director who... It's not public who they will be yet, but is has big plans for taking that to the next level. So that would be where I go first and foremost. I've got a accidentally became a serial podcaster, so I have this podcast to see each other that is a kind of radio documentary that tracks some rural organizing work uh, in the you know kind of pre twenty twenty, and then another one called the Next Move, where I'm interviewing 
elder organizers, uh, largely, not exclusively, about the craft and the fundamentals of organizing. And last, I'll stop rambling here. I got a Substack thing called the Fundamentals of Organizing, where I'm just kind of helping try to revive some of the fundamentals of the craft. Awesome. Yeah, I've listened to to see each other and a couple of the um, your other podcasts. I think with Alicia Garza. You did one with yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, great. Good, so yeah, that season, season two is really the season to go okay. to because it's uh, some amazing and some organizers. Alicia Garza, most of us have heard of, but there's some organizers that are 70 years old, been in the trenches for 50 years, and nobody's ever heard of, but are like amazing, brilliant people. Okay, well, George, thanks so much for joining. I really, you know, support you and your work, and thank God, you know, you've been doing this because I don't know if there's many other progressive leaders doing this. So appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And hopefully we'll change that. Yeah, absolutely. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.